Hi, I'm Paul Strinklow. Welcome to Tech Interviews. On this week's show, it's part two of our cloud series as we take a look at the world of Microsoft Azure. So, settle back and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Tech Interviews. So this week, we're looking again at the world of cloud and uh, and cloud migration, uh, but with a particular focus around Microsoft Azure platform this week. Um, so to help me to do that, I'm joined by, uh, by a special guest. It's uh, Sarah Lean. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, Paul. I'm great. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, real good, thank you. And uh, well, well, thanks for joining us. Nice to have you on. Um, so before we get started and, and looking at today's topic uh, around Azure, uh, do you want to introduce yourself, tell people a little bit about who you are and what it is you do? Cool. So as you say, my name is Sarah Lean and I'm a cloud solution architect with Microsoft. Um, my role is slightly different from some of the other cloud solution architects you might have come across um, at Microsoft. So rather than being aligned to a certain account, or a certain vertical. I span all accounts and all verticals and I talk to customers about data center transformations. So that can be anything from helping them build that business case um, to actually move to the cloud or actually helping them unblock some of the the blockers that they've come across during a migration project. Um, I've been doing that for a year now and it's it's pretty cool. I enjoy it. Uh, well, it, well, that's good. That's a good start. Um, I, I would have hated this to have started with saying, I've been doing it for a year and I'm really miserable now. Can we talk about something else? Um, so, um, so, so that's a good thing. But well, it's a couple of things, actually, you've, you've mentioned straight away in the introduction that, that are really interesting. And I think one of those things, actually, is around helping organisations to build that case mm-hmm. for cloud transition. Um, because I would expect that's, that that's one of the things that, that maybe you come across quite a lot, that actually people like the idea of cloud but aren't really sure about how to get there so so maybe maybe there's a, there's a good place to start you know what, what mm-hmm. are some of the um what are some of the things that you find make a good business case you know, what are some of the areas that that people can look at where they can show some real because i think like a lot of these, these these type of projects they shouldn't be about technical benefit but they should be more yep. focused around business outcomes so so what are some of the kind of the good use cases some of the kind of good business cases you see get made I think that the main migration drivers we are seeing from a lot of customers is around software and hardware kind of refresh. Um, as you're probably aware, you know, every three, five years, you probably have to think about new hardware. Um, and that's a significant cost for a lot of people. So we're talking to a lot of people who are at the end of that cycle and not sure whether to reinvest or to move to the cloud. So that can be a business case. We're also seeing a lot of people around the kind of software drivers as well. So again, they're running legacy software. They're still running things like Windows Server 2003 or 2008, um, SQL Server, etc. that are really out of date and they're not being able to leverage some of the good, good benefits that the latest versions have. Um, and especially now that... Um, SQL Server 2008 and Windows Server 2008 are going end of life and kind of end of support and we're getting people asking about that and how how they deal with that kind of transition and also a lot of companies are now lagging behind if they're still on premise versus their competitors who are in the cloud and they can't be as agile and quick to win that that share of the market because their IT equipment is sitting in in their basement and in a kind of I don't know, in an old state, shall we call it? Um, <laughs> plus, we're also seeing people talk to, you know, their end user people, the people that are using the kit every day are are now that millennium generation are wanting to be able to access their emails, etc., and stuff on their phones. A lot of people can't deal with that because, again, they're running legacy kit. So, again, that's a big driver to the cloud, especially around the Office 365 piece, which I used to do as well. 
So you make um, so there's a couple of things actually just thinking about while as you're talking there. So so people listening to this show may notice you you have an accent. Um, yep. and, uh, <laughs> so you know so so that places you you kind of up in Scotland for, for yep. those who've not yet uh, not yet cottoned on. Um, but interesting you're talking about there about some of the things around competitive advantage and mm-hmm. some businesses lagging behind their competition. Did you see any kind of change in that being a strong business case dependent on location or business sector or, or are you seeing that kind of generally across the piece that the people are starting to realize that if they can't react as quickly to changing conditions you know you use phrase agile in there yeah. um, but you know if they can't react as quickly or they can't exploit newer technologies are, are people starting to see that as a as a real problem as a real potential impediment to success I think so. In two areas I'm seeing it in, um, the retail sector is obviously the biggest driver for that kind of change in agility. So one of our big use cases is ASOS, the kind of fashion retailer. So the ability they have to scale up and scale down their website depending on campaigns and time of the year. They wouldn't be able to do that on premise and obviously they struggled things like Black Friday and stuff like that. We all we all know some of the, the companies that still struggle with that um, and can recognise they are maybe not in the cloud or maybe not doing the cloud right. Um, so that's one area that the cloud makes it really good for. So because you don't have to have the kit sitting there, not doing anything when it's not Christmas or Black Friday. Um, you only pay for it, you know, when you use it in the cloud. And the other sector we're seeing is 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 companies that develop their own software and 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 try and leverage that. So you know, people. I can't mention the company that I'm thinking about, unfortunately, but people that develop software and then sell it onto a third party, you know, traditionally they would have hosted that on their own kit in their own data centre. But as things are moving, the customers they are talking to don't want it hosted on somebody else's data centre. They want it in the cloud. They want it in Azure or AWS. So these companies are having to change their mentality, not only how they develop software and where they what they use to develop that software, but where they host that. So they're having to naturally go with their customers and the customers are going cloud. So they're developing their software on the cloud and actually naturally progressing their own IT kit into the cloud as well, just just to make it seamless and make that, and I hate this phrase, one pane of glass um, management point for their guys as well. Yeah, well, well, we all know there is there is no such thing as a one pane of glass. Um, so, so, so I'm with you about that phrase. But what I think we all understand exactly what you mean. Yeah, you're trying yeah. to kind of centralise that that capability because one of the one of the challenges that we often see is that that overstressed IT pro, that IT admin somewhere who's got 75 different systems to try and look after, and, and anything we yeah. can do to simplify that, that's got to be a good thing. Yes. Um, but interestingly, one of one of the things that um, you kind of touched on in that actually that uh, um that, that was uh, you know something that may, maybe just worth exploring be kind of before we move move on but that um that idea of building strong business cases you know do, do you see um do, do you see issues where organizations still are struggling to build those business cases you know that they're those organizations aren't necessarily seeing some of the benefits that we're talking about you know we, we've got an audience here probably who've of it pros and, and it execs who are you know maybe are forward thinking and, and looking at how they uh, you know they drive business value etc mm-hmm. but, but are you still seeing some kind of pushback in organizations where maybe they don't feel that cloud is the future um, yes, to a degree, because um, it's hard to actually estimate or, or quantify what you're actually spending on your current IT infrastructure. Um, and when I talk about infrastructure, I actually just don't mean that kit that's ticking away. I mean the rest of the piece as well. So that's where we 
um, have big issues with a lot of people understanding that total cost of ownership versus what you would actually spend in cloud. Um, a lot of people don't like that whole change from CapEx to OpEx model and they can't get their head around it. And that's where we find the biggest kind of blocker in building a business case because up front, they don't know what they're spending to look after their infrastructure at the moment or they've spent it five years ago so they don't have it in their, their sites anymore. Um, mm. And then when we come up and say, well, if you lift and shift, you would be spending X amount a month and they're like that's that's blown my budget because it's suddenly a big cost for them whereas they're not quantifying what they spend every month at the moment if that makes sense um, yeah no, it, do, it, it does yeah um so that's where we have to kind of educate a few people um not necessarily the techies maybe the people that are in charge of the financial um side of it about what they're actually spending every month and if they break down that capex cost that they spent five years ago or whatever it actually has a monthly value and there's things, hidden costs in there, like you said, the IT pro that has to manage that, the stress that that's putting on your staff, the out of hours, you know, the on-call rota that you probably have to pay for someone, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that all adds up. And once we actually try and quantify that for them and have that figure and give them a versus an on-premise versus a cloud solution, they actually can see the benefit and can see where if they reduced X, Y, and Z, because they're not spending it on premise, they can actually spend it on innovation and doing something much cooler and a lot better for their, their organization. Yeah, so that's a really good point that you make. And one of the things actually I was talking there about kind of this shift from, uh, you know, maybe having to go through the pain of, uh, you know, raising a purchase order once every five years to suddenly mm -hmm. what that looks like on a monthly basis is is one of the things that you see that make a successful transformation project, the idea of it being an organisational, almost an attitude change as well. This is not just about making a technology shift. This is about, as an organisation, understanding that there's a big change in attitude as you move to cloud. Yeah, definitely. There's a cultural change every organisation has to go um, through. So there's various different aspects to that from, say, your HR, how they actually um, hire staff and what skill sets they're looking for, how they actually budget for training the, the staff, because we now need to get trained and we need to kind of be on that cycle of training as well. Um, and then your finance department have to understand that they're going to be getting billed monthly um, and how we we do that. Um, obviously, there's things you can do with Microsoft. You can um, sign up for an enterprise agreement and you can kind of lock in your costs and get a discounted cost if you lock in for, what is that, a year, three years or five years or something like that. So there's, there's, there's different things for people to think about across the different departments. And as part of that cloud solution architect role at Microsoft, we have to interact with these different people on different levels. So it's not just techies I speak to on a day-to-day -day basis. I can be talking to HR about a learning plan for their staff and how we can help and where we can offer services, etc. as well. So there's definitely a cultural change for organisations when they're when they're looking to talk uh, move to the cloud. So uh, well, that leads us on nicely, I think, to to kind of the um, you know, so so as a business, maybe people have made the decision, yeah, that you know, using cloud, using Azure, and and technologies like that are mm. a good fit for what they're trying to drive. So so in your role as a cloud architect, I mean, what are some of the kind of common cloud migration challenges you see so as people have made that decision that yeah i want to start running technology out of out of a, a big public cloud out of one of the big hyperscalers um yeah what, what are the common kind of problems challenges situations that you you come across i think one of the key stages that people try and skip ahead of is the planning stage um i've we i do actually talk to a lot of customers that don't really understand their environment too well Unfortunately, they don't have that CMDB, so they don't know what the servers are doing. They've 
they don't know what what's talks to each other they have got no idea what operating systems are running um, and I'm dealing with customers that have you know 20 30 thousand servers so it's, it's understandable that they can lose that visibility but small organizations lose that visibility as well unfortunately through staff changes or just lack of documentation so I think the key to any found any good migration is doing a, a good discovery and doing a good planning exercise. So there's different tools you can use to try and do that discovery and then can lead through that planning. So um, one of the big tools that I love to promote is doing Azure Migrate, which is a kind of assessment tool that we have and it's free. <laughs> um, so it can help you understand what your servers are, which ones are going to be supported when you move to Azure and which ones are not and how they, they inter, inter like communicate with each other so that you can understand how to move those servers. Because um, you can't just move all in one go. <laughs> as much as you would like to just, you know, turn a, a switch and it'll all be in Azure one night, it's not going to happen like that. So the discovery phase helps you understand how to group those migrations. And that's what we do. We group we groups kind of sets of machines and migrate them at a time and do that. And I think that's key to any good migration, doing that planning and discovery, not just using the back of a matchbook and doing it then and going, okay, we're moving to the cloud and we're doing it on Tuesday next week. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think, I, I mean, partly I, I'm hugely disappointed it wasn't just a button that I press and everything just magically works. Um, that, that shattered a whole bunch of illusions for me. But, um, uh, but, but I, you know, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure many people listening to this show, and I, I know I have, is, you know, we, we've all worked on projects where people skip ahead on that initial planning mm -hmm. stage and the the project is almost doomed to failure from the beginning because they have no you know I'm not quite sure how people expect to get to some kind of destination when they've got no idea what the starting point yep, is exactly. uh, because that's only going to bite you later um so yeah I mean you're talking there about kind of visibility I mean what what, what are some of the areas that uh, are kind of common mistakes people make what, what are some of the areas that people don't fully understand so you know amounts of virtual machines might be one thing or physical mm -hmm. servers I guess in, in included in there but, but uh, are there other areas that you see that people don't fully appreciate either actually in this source you know the source that they're beginning in and maybe even what the target looks like at the other end you know are the common things that people miss i think the one that they miss is the interdependency on how each server talks to each other um, and how they rely on each other um, it's interesting because we do that um, azure migrate kind of dependency mapping and it shows all the lines of communication between all your different servers and people are often surprised at how interconnected all their servers are actually are you know you'll have that line from each server probably going back to your active directory um, and they'll, they'll know about that but there's other lines about oh this server's actually talking to the internet what's it doing or why is that port open because we thought that port was shut or you know that kind of whole piece that holistic piece of what's going on in the environment they've maybe lost track of that so it's understanding that and trying to not well you want to say fix some of those issues on premise so that you actually understand what you need to do in the cloud because there's no point moving it broken or in a, a way you don't want it working into the cloud so yeah understanding how their environment actually interconnects is probably the biggest one that they overlook and, and do you think that sometimes do you often come across as well a situation where people underestimate how complex this can be because i think mm. one of the, the, the issues that i see and uh, and actually, the comparison between Office 365 and Azure is quite a good one, I think, for yeah. this, in that 
Office 365 is a software as a service platform. All of that thinking is done for you. Basically, what you see is the business outcome at the other end. You know, I get email, mm-hmm. somewhere to store documents and, and all of the other things you can do within 365. Yep. And I think sometimes we end up in this kind of um, false sense of security that any cloud service looks like that. But actually, when you start mm-hmm. to build platforms and infrastructure in, in within these services, did you feel that people sometimes underestimate the complex, we'll pick on Azure for now, but yeah. the, the complexity of what Azure looks like at the other end for them? It does actually, because they suddenly have to have that conversation, especially if they're mid-migration. What does a hybrid cloud actually look like? And where do we have to put, you know, firewalls and where does our identity set? And how do we actually talk to things? And what happens if that that interconnectivity between our data center and Azure goes down for whatever reason? You know, and how do people connect into Azure once we move it there? All these kind of key things they, they don't they don't think about. They think about, right, I just want to get my server, how do I lift and shift or, or whatever into the, into the cloud? And they forget about, you know, we do have to talk about identity. We do have to talk about, much like when we do an Office 365 migration, how are we going to extend that identity up into the cloud? And how do we extend our networking up into the cloud? And how do, what does that look like? And what implications does that have? All these kind of things. And they often think that, you know, we're that silver bullet that's going to answer all these questions. But sometimes you have to have, that third party, you know, that Cisco expert in or Palo Alto or Five Networks or whoever, um, you know, it is that does your networking as well in that conversation and actually get their their view on what it looks like as well. Yeah, and I think that's um, it's a it's a really good point, and it's interesting as I, as I listen to you, you know, and some of the challenges that you see in those kind of cloud migration projects. But I suppose that they, they they're a wider thing as well, aren't they? Because actually, they are challenges that people see in all kinds of projects. Mm-hmm. You know, whether yeah. you're migrating to the cloud or deploying a new application, you know, it's understanding not only where you're trying to get to, but understanding exactly where you are when you start, yep. understanding yep. things like those interdependencies, and yep. although. Um, you know, we talk a lot, don't we, about this kind of shift that, you know, decision makers and IT pros are getting less interested in what the underlying architecture looks like because they don't have to care. Yeah. But there is definitely an element of you do need at least somebody involved in a project like this who understands not necessarily every intricacy and every detail, but understands the platform well enough that they will foresee some of these challenges and understand as you were talking about networking and access and what happens if mm-hmm. if access goes down and you know and like when we're recording a show like this i mean just imagine what would happen if our access to our recording platform went down um, <laughs> not that that would ever happen um so so people listening to this will figure out that probably did happen um but but you know i think that 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 does seem to be a kind of a common misconception that people do underestimate where you do need skill sets to do this and and where help and advice and planning um it can be really valuable yep. um so, so maybe to pick up on that actually so again from kind of your experience in, in your cloud architect role you know is there some general good practices that you can share with people to things that as they start on these kind of migration and transition projects some some good practice areas that that maybe they should be focusing on and, and maybe um you know sharing some of your experience of, of things that they should try and avoid so one thing i'd probably always recommend to our customers is don't try this migration on your own. So you're probably only going to do this kind of migration from your on-premise to a cloud environment once in your lifetime, if you're lucky, right? So why upskill your staff to learn how to do a migration? Because it is a skill set that you need in order to do the migration, as we've said. So engage a partner 
look at a third party supplier. And yes, that's going to be a cost for you. But in the long run, you're going to take their experience and their knowledge and their learnings from doing X amount of uh, migrations previously and actually interject that into your environment and make it more successful for you. So you're you're not the first person to actually do this migration. You're taking advantage of someone that's done it, you know, 10, 20 times before. Um, and often organisations push back on that and say, no, no, we'll do it ourselves. It'll be fine. But halfway down the project, they come to blockers and they come to lots of questions. And that's when they actually realise, hmm, yeah, maybe we need to get someone that's more experienced in. So I would say if you're, you know, if this isn't your aim, if you're like a software development house and you're having to move to Azure, don't do it yourself because you're not going to have the skill set and you're not actually going to make the most of your migration path and you're going to see issues and blockers and think it's a pain in the bum (laughs) ultimately and actually going to end up hating the cloud um, because you've had so many blockers and you've had so many challenges. So, yeah. uh, well, I think another area with that, and again, it's something, and this this is not unique to kind of cloud transition projects at all, but actually that idea, you kind of touched on that in your answer, that sometimes people will push back on getting external help, um, you know, and I'm not making a pitch for any, any particular <laughs> people here or, or my own company, but, you know, that, that people will push back sometimes on that and say, well, yeah. I can see there's a big cost associated with it and isn't all this cloud stuff dead straightforward. But actually what that tends to be a false economy as well, because even if that transition eventually works and they've done it relatively smoothly, it may be taking them two or three times longer than it would yep. have done to have somebody who's experienced. And, and I mean, is, is that something to say? So even when they've made a success of it, it's maybe taking them three, two, three, four times longer than it, it would have done if they'd got maybe somebody in who said, yeah, I know I can shortcut all of these kind of processes for you because I've seen all of these things before and I and I can make your your transition so much smoother. Is, is that is that something you come across? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I can't I can't really talk about it, but yes. Yeah, one of my customers yeah. has went through that journey. So yes. yeah, I, 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 well I'm sure I, you know, and I, I know I've seen it and I'm sure anybody listening to this show has either seen a project like that or has even delivered a project like mm. that where they've gone, wouldn't it be so much easier if I just asked for some help? <laughs> Um, yeah. And, and it, I mean, is there other, any any kind of other, you know, any other kind of good practice tips that, that you'd share as well? Mm, I've got a whole slide of really good best practices, which is obviously not very good in this medium. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, see if you actually, actually, see if you go and look at the Ignite, Microsoft Ignite's um, session catalogue from last year. Um, there's some really good sessions from people who have done migrations, who do migrations, um, and from some of our partners, and there's some excellent best practice tips. That's a bit of a cop-out, but that is a great <laughs> resource um, to actually go and look. And I've stole some of those slide decks and some of those best practices and interject it into what I tell customers as well. So um, definitely go and check out the Ignite session catalogue from last year because there's some great sessions on it. And, and I suppose actually some of the stuff that you've talked about as well, it, it's, uh, you know, in terms of good practice is actually doing a cloud migration is no different a project to delivering any project successfully. It's planning, it's understanding where you're starting, it's understanding where you're trying to get to, it's yeah. it's having, making sure you've got access to the right skill set. You know, none of those things are, are any different to 
doing any other kind of project no. so from building a house to building a cloud infrastructure you know the, these things are, are often very similar um, yeah. and now you, you talked to, as well a little bit earlier about things like uh, some, some of the tools that, that Microsoft have available and some of the tools that you've seen you yeah. know is there, is there some good tools that you would suggest that people go and have a look at you know we've, we've talked about the Azure Migrate tool but yeah. are there other tools out there that, that people can use to help them to either assess what they're looking to do or, or plan how they're going to do that migration or even maybe you know test what some of that stuff looks like as uh, maybe before they make those those leaps with their production systems um yeah so azure migrate is obviously the microsoft one there's move air as well that we've used with some customers um, there's cloudemise there's certo there's corrent uh, i think that's my my list off the top of my head but th- there are more than that but that's the, the kind of big ones that we talk about and have strategic partnerships at microsoft with um but they all do different things to a certain degree. Some are um, cloud-based as well. Um, others are on-premise. So you you get that software and you deploy it on a server and a bit of tin on your environment. And that way, um, we found that some, some people who are early on their cloud journey are a bit frightened of sending some of that metadata about their environment, the discovery data that these tools collect up into the cloud because they don't want any of their information up in the cloud. So that's why they prefer a solution that's, that, that can be based in their environment and, and they can have control over where the actual data goes and how it gets destroyed, etc. after the discovery. So there's different tools for different people. Um, some of the tools require agents. Some of the tools don't require agents. Some of the agents actually require quite a lot of prerequisites pre-installed, which can be a blocker for some, some people. Um, so yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of tools out there. And what I would say is look at them all and have a we and have an understanding, have that conversation with the sales guy or the partner that's looking at them to understand which one's a good fit for you. Because every customer I'm involved with is using a different tool, unfortunately, just due to their nature of of their needs and their environment. Yeah, so so that sounds much more like you know. Although there's loads of great tools out there, that there's no necess- there's no kind of magic bullet tool. That this is much more about, again, as we kind of talked about with any project, understand what your environment looks like, understand what you're trying to achieve, and then try and find the right technical solution to help underpin that. Um, and and that you talked about before about the Azure Migrate tool. Is that something that people can easily get hold of? Is that a freebie tool from? I think you did say it was a free tool from Microsoft yes. before. So. And, and that's something people can easily get access to. They don't need to engage professional services from Microsoft or anything like that. No, you can sign up to a free Azure subscription. You just sign up your credit card, deploy an Azure Migrate project, and you'll download the OVA file that you can um, input into your VMware environment. And you can try it to your heart's content. It's entirely free. Um, this, the dependency mapping that it does isn't free after the first 180 days. So you can do the dependency mapping for 180 I think it's 180 days free of charge so you can try it um without actually incurring any cost so it's a great entry tool for people mm. that are either wanting to learn it so i've got it running on a home lab here so it doesn't cost me anything um but it's also a great entry tool for businesses that aren't sure or are trying to convince their senior leadership team about this so it's a great conversation starter as well for them 
I mean, not again, not that we'd advocate it, but that sounds like, again, if you were doing um, a migration, not even necessarily to Azure, that is a great way of understanding what your application um, environment looks like currently. Yep. Um, you know, and I say not not that I'd advocate that we would do that. Yeah. I'm sure people want to would only be using that because they're keen to move to Azure. But, you know, it does sound like a really powerful tool to say, yeah, yeah this is how you build an understanding of, of your uh, of your environment. So, so I mean, that, that good, good pro tip. I like that one. Um, and, and I mean, in terms of other things that, uh, you know, talk specifically about Microsoft, I mean, is there, is there other things, other capabilities, facilities, services, whatever that Microsoft can offer for people who are looking at maybe making that move to Azure in terms of the kind of help and support they can get? Um, yeah, so most organisations will have access to, or for us, can't say that, fast track services. Um, so that's a team that can help you actually with your move to Azure or Office 365. I think they do Windows 10 migrations as well and, and stuff like that. So the fast track services are available. I think you have to hit a certain amount of like seats for like 365 and you have to have a, a minimum spend per month for Azure. But it's certainly a, se uh, a service that's accessible for most businesses, to be honest. Um, you don't have to be spending millions and millions of dollars a month in Azure to actually get access to fast track. So they're one to definitely have a look at. Um, and I think that's probably the entry point level for most small businesses, um, small to medium businesses. Um, the other, there are a whole host of services after that if you are a bigger investor in Microsoft. Because um, the Cloud Solution Architect, once you get to a certain spend in Azure, you kind of get uh, Cloud, Cloud Solution Architects for free. <laughs> so. So Cloud Solution Architect as a service, that's what yes. we might sound like. Um, <laughs> so as well, we kind of come to the end of our time here, um, and, and luckily we've managed to do this in just two takes, uh, <laughs> this, this recording. Uh, again, pulling pulling back the curtain on the uh, the dangerous world of podcasting. Um, I, so obviously we, we met because uh, we, we saw uh, kind of, I saw some of the stuff that you, you produce on the uh, on the internet and some of the, the stuff you kind of push out there through Twitter. So, um, and obviously people have you know, would no doubt learned an awful lot, some real good pro tips on, on yeah. building cloud migration cases and, and building uh, building towards Azure. So if people do want to find you um, on the internet and, and kind of hunt you down, uh, what's a good way to do that? Um, so as you say, I'm on Twitter. My handle is at techielas, so that's T-E-C-H-I-E-L-A-S-S -S, for those that can't understand the Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> um, my blog's also that as well, so it's techielas.com. Um, I'm there and I've got a couple of speaking engagements um, throughout the year so I think I'm speaking at Ladies of Code in March in Glasgow and I'm speaking at a conference in Denmark in April International Cloud Conference and then I'm going to Norway in May for Expert Live uh, Norway event and I think that's all I've got lined up speaking wise at the moment. So sure. ticking off all of Scandinavia um, <laughs> as you go. So, um, well, I, you know, and, and I, I think I mean, I'll, I'll say I'll make sure this goes in the show notes, and I would definitely recommend that people check out uh, techylast.com because I think some some really insightful and interesting posts in there, not just on actually kind of your your day to day uh, cloud architect role, but you, you also produce some really interesting content around uh, staying relevant and, and and building your kind of um, having a, a useful learning plan that allows you to learn new technologies and stay relevant. In, in what is always a very rapidly changing market that, that many of us operate in. So um, so I'll definitely make sure that goes in the show notes. And um, so for now, Sarah, as we've come to the end of our time here, thank you very much for, um, for joining us on the show and uh, look forward to speaking to you again in the uh, near future. Cool. Thank you, Paul. It's been great. 
I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. Our cloud series takes a little bit of a break now. Next week, we're delving into the world of security as we talk about penetration testing, what it is, why you should do it, how you benefit, and how you go about organising a pen test. So if you want to make sure you catch that show, then why not subscribe? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as all other good homes of podcasts. So until next time, thanks for listening.